This is episode number seven of Artful Thought, recorded live at the University of San Francisco's KUSF studio, which aired on Saturday, May 25th, 2019. My guest is California native Rochelle Rosegold, who is a savant and lover of various audio sound realms, where her mission is combining communication with innovative audio to create social change. We chat about Rochelle's upbringing and a family of musicians, starting out in LA with her three sisters and a pop quartet, leading up to her journey as a vocalist, songwriter, podcast producer, sound engineer, Foley artist, and DJ, among other roles that she plays. As women whose paths crossed in the audio world, we shift to delving more heavily into the questions and answers as to why on earth women only make up 5% of the professional audio world, and how the community as a whole needs to dismantle biased perceptions about gender through education, creating dialogue, and a shared goal of equal opportunity. Today, I have a very special guest in the studio, uh, Rochelle Rosegold, but also like your last name is Cornelia, so you kind of interchange between the two, right? Mm -hmm. Rosegold is more of like your art, like um, persona, or like you're more like creative audio, like persona, right? Mm -hmm. And then Cornelius is like your your, like birth last name. My legal name. Yeah. (laughs) How I met Rochelle was here at KUSF. She uh, goes to school here, just like me, and um, she is uh, studying communication and music. She's a vocalist, a songwriter, podcast producer, a sound engineer, a Foley artist, a DJ, pianist, harmonist, uh, and so many other things. Like, that's just a little blip of everything she does. And she also does a show here, I should mention, um, uh, Levels and Luster, right? And that airs on Friday, so yesterday, uh, 1.30 to 3 p.m. And there's so many accolades that I wrote down before we, <laughs> we... This might blend into the conversation, everything that you've done. Before we get into all of that about... Uh, the audio world and where women come into play. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, where you grew up and what was your childhood like and your family uh, like. Great. Thank you so much for having me here as well, Mr. DJ Darcy. Yes. <laughs> and yes, I was here yesterday um, and part of the USF and KUSF community. So I feel really happy to be involved in another show and on the other side of the mic so it feels great to have such a introduction like that so thank you so much i grew up in thousand oaks and i was originally born out here up north but was raised mainly in thousand oaks Um, i had a family tragedy that happened early on Uh, my grandmother was an opera coach and she taught my sisters and i have three older sisters Uh, she taught us Uh, coaching and music lessons at a very young age and she died tragically Uh, so we were very involved in the community so we decided to move to Los Angeles and pursue a professional career as a like pop quartet mm-hmm. <laughs> so this was in the mid 90s I love this story so yeah. much I feel like the uh, like a modern day like Von Trapps or you know like a poppier version of like a traveling family band yeah mm-hmm, exactly yes yeah. this, we had a lot of the same elements uh, and we had a pretty large age range because I when we when we actually started pursuing it professionally I was around six or seven and my older sister was eight years older than me Uh, and so it was um, it was interesting to see what kind of 
topics we were going to sing about, you know, in our song, because I was dealing with Barbies and she was dealing with boyfriends. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, we we did that for about 15 years, and I got a lot of uh, extensive ear training in uh, harmonic mm-hmm. and melodic uh, musicianship. So. That's where my background in in, in vocalist and musicianship mm-hmm. comes from. I continued on to have a bunch of different like variations with my sisters. We were in a trio, and then we were in a, a duo, and then we were back in the trio but doing hip hop music, and then we were you know like so I had a lot of different uh, assets to the type of music that we covered, uh, and a lot of different genres uh, and then a uh, last project I was with was with just one of my older sisters and we uh, were in a band called the sisters and misters and we got some traction in Hollywood we were doing the Hollywood circuit house of blues Viper room uh, and and we were more like rockabilly mm-hmm. uh, but we kind of blended the two of my my genre and my sister's genre together to form rockability rockabilly but uh it wasn't really like resonating with we weren't in that scene you know we were just Mm -hmm. like combining our music genres to produce that type of music so i don't think it was really resonating with the audience uh in a way that would have been lasting Mm -hmm. uh, because i really love electronic music and hip-hop and pop music and she loves a little bit more like rock and soulful Mm -hmm. uh and so we split off and then i decided to pursue a career uh and maintain my career in in audio engineering so i i started interning when learning pro tools uh, and so that was pretty much i got a lot of of my training and interned at a Foley stage mm-hmm. and got a few uh, Foley credits. And if and the listeners don't know what Foley is, it's uh, the live sound effects that are overdubbed in TV and movies to create more of a ambience for the viewer. So it's a dying art, but it's still out there. It's part of post-production. Yeah, so that was my background. And then um, it was very stressful and it was hard to break through as a female in the studio environment. And as an audio engineer, and like to be taken seriously as in a technical role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just, you know, I was serving at a restaurant and I was uh, trying to continue to get gigs, freelance gigs mm-hmm. with audio engineering. But I just decided that I really, uh, in, in my soul, wanted an education. I never really had an educate. I never really uh, took college seriously because of all the music mm-hmm. that I had. Uh, in my life growing up and it was it just it felt separated you either do music or you go to school uh, but deep down I really felt like I was uh, longing for a world view and mm-hmm. you know a larger scope of like world problems and just needed an education for me so I went back to school at West LA College and it's been you know the best decision of my life somehow I ended up back in music (laughs) you know because I feel like if you're an artist you have that in your bones and you're going to continue to put music out and put art out Mm -hmm. but somehow I ended up combining all of the audio forces and coming into the podcast industry pretty prepared a tool belt of like a lot of different in like a lot of different life like stepping stones of um, all of these things that come and sort of became this cool like amalgamation of like I don't know like 
skills and not I don't want to just say skills because that sounds like non-human but like um, it, blending like the arts and uh, tech and things that are more technical and academic and making them like have a happy like collision together and being able to uh, yeah to orchestrate all of these different things that you're so proficient in um, and not feeling like you have to sacrifice any one of those things in order for the others to thrive uh, so co I'm super stoked it I mean definitely helps me <laughs> that you have found this like this type of success of like um, finding a way to balance all of those things because I mean one of like the things that is truly inspiring for me and influential to me and you know you've helped me learn sort of the ropes of how to do how to produce a podcast how to edit um, all of the things that are not so glamorous about <laughs> about all of these things um, in music in uh, any type of sound production audio production and I mean, you definitely know like the science that goes into all of it, but also know how to be like human about it. You know, you're not like covered like I mean, and there, there's like a stereotype, I think, for like men being like the mechanical, you know, like techies who are like not, you know, personable and just sort of do all of the the like really deep wired work in things uh, that have to do with how we get our music and how we get our sound in various capacities and why you know like I, it's it's possible to still have a personality and to still be an artist and know how to do those things um, and it's you know empowering to be able to produce a podcast to be able to produce an album that you wrote and performed and you know you've I mean I'm truly just like awestruck you're just like hey you know this is a team process let's you know uh, you you know how to meet people in the middle and still be like excited about like yeah this is how you do this and instead of like rubbing it in, in people's faces here's how much I know thank you yeah. thank you for saying that I I do uh, well I think first off, it comes from having a deep love for audio and sound production, and I think even at a young age, I was I was doing experimental sound projects, and then with the Foley, I really have seen you know the power of sound and audio um, in people's lives and how transformative it could be anywhere from just small sounds to music or to an orchestra, uh, and then you know I I'm involved in the deaf community as well so you know I just feel like it's a huge part of my life so I think it's just coming from a place of supporting and and being uh, sharing sharing knowledge and being collaborative with anyone who is also interested in sound in general you know it it, it feels like a passion for me you know and it, other than a a technical job that I'm just getting done. Yeah. Uh, and then also coming from like from another woman who's interested as well. It just makes me warm and fuzzy Aww. inside, you know, because uh, because there's so there is the the gap that uh, women think that they can't do these jobs or that it's not suitable for them. Um so yeah, any any shared knowledge or collaboration that I could do or help out with is it's you know it's part of my mission it's part of my 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 path so yeah thank you thank you I mean I'm super um yeah encouraged and I always feel like okay whenever I do and th this is the misconception with especially I mean not even just women but anytime people feel frustrated and they're sitting you know trying to do something that's 
tech related and audio, you know, related. It's a very like trial and error process of like always hitting like walls and trusting that there's a way around this, you know, maybe I'm not figuring it out right now. It's not because I'm not intuitive. It's just because this is, you know, hard work too. It's not like easy. It takes a lot of time. um, And it's typically like quality over quantity. I mean, who can, you know, say how much time it takes to do research. So I'm super, super stoked that um, you came into uh, here at KUSF last uh, fall because you totally transformed the the production room into like a podcasting room, which I don't want to like say that we're doing like workshops or anything for podcasting in case anybody who's listening is interested in starting a podcast. Um, definitely want to encourage that, but we're still, you know, sort of getting the hang of, um, it's not like a training room, I should say. You can use it if you know how to make a podcast, if you know how to use Pro Tools and all of that. We're happy to like, you know, let you use the space. Um, if you go to USF, of course, I should probably uh, put that in there. Uh, <laughs> We're taking um, anyone. We're taking anyone off the street. Yes. Get in here. We want to record you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's hard to find resources and support sometimes um, and gear and equipment uh, if you're a student and not sure where to go and don't have people who have an idea of what you want to do. So we're good. Like if you, we can't sit down and hold your hand and do it, you know, but um, we have the space and the equipment if you're interested and you can, co- yeah, I've got my email up uh, on the, the archived episode of this uh, show. like were your favorite musicians or genres or instruments like whenever you first started playing music yourself? Uh, I definitely listened to a lot of experimental. I remember the first, the first, the big breakthrough I had was this uh, CD on Venice Boardwalk that Mm -hmm. we, that was just passed to us, you know, when we were, we used to do busking out there and doing Mm -hmm. our little, little, uh, skit and then someone gave us a cd and i remember the cd was called planet dog and no one wanted it in my family and so and i'm just the youngest so i like took it you know and i was like oh and i had this big boom booming sound system in my room already that i wired you know with surround sound at like a really young age and then i put the cd in and it was just like experimental electronic from the mid 90s and i loved the cd and i felt so uh I just had like a feeling of liking something that no one else liked or having this obscure mm-hmm. like for this type of music and it felt so weird and it felt so cool. Uh, so I remember that being, uh, just having all the sounds together uh, really inspired me. And then I remember, I mean, for vocalists, it's a, kind of a different conversation, but some Janis Joplin, Christina Ooh. Aguilera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I remember when... Uh, Timbaland came out with, and I've al- oh, yeah. I've always been in you know hip hop and pop music and pop culture uh, but Timbaland was the first producer that I knew came out with a mainstream album uh, that was collaborating with artists but he was known as a producer and I loved his his tracks and he had such a unique um, and specific style of producing so that really sparked my interest in the production aspect um, and then I have some other, uh, like the man who trained me with Foley. He's a really mm-hmm. he has a large repertoire of uh, doing 
primetime TV shows and just like a genius in in capturing the art of sound. Uh, so his name's Joe Sabella. He was a big inspiration mm-hmm. and role model for me with that. Yeah, and then I've worked with some other engineers and producers and just uh, picked up little things here and there. So Foley, I'll I'll confess that I didn't realize really what Foley art was until I was like stalking you on <laughs> on all of your, you know, like social media and uh, like uh, your website. I looked it up and yeah, it's like a very subtle art of uh, explain. I, you kind of like mentioned what it is earlier of like uh, on TV shows or it's in, in music too or, or film, um, what do you do whenever you go in and work your, your fully artistry on, <laughs> on works? <laughs> so I have like a Santa bag full of all these random objects. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, I just bring around the Santa bag if I have a gig. I, it's, you know, before I went back to school, I was working a little bit more in it, uh, but Pretty much what it is, is it, a lot of sounds in TV and film need to be uh, over overdubbed, re-recorded, mm-hmm. as well as the dialogue. But that's a, that's called ADR, but that's a separate uh, side of post-production. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just because the camera doesn't pick up the sound as sharply as it as it needs mm-hmm. to and then uh if you're playing like an a and b between before post-production and after you can you can really see the difference between having the the speaker sound really close up or the way it's placed or the way that's the sounds um and the scenes are like capturing you you mm-hmm. feel much more involved it's, you know, part of the movie magic like, they say you know yeah. where you you your brain is tricked into believing that you're in that environment and so it's this it's a little just this little side uh part of the per- post-production process and you go in and you have a bunch of cues that the sound supervisors have marked that need to be overdubbed and then if it's in if it's in like a foley stage you have all these different objects and like different a sound pit like you have like a shallow water pit and a deep water pit and a you know like a compact sand area and a larger sand area and cement surface and glass and wood surface so you have all these different surfaces uh, and then you use two mics to record. You use a, a room mic, so to capture uh, kind of above, like in, in the corner of the room, to capture the whole uh, space of the sound. And then you use a straight shooter, very, very high gain condenser mic. Like a, a, we at the stage I worked, I was a straight shooter Neumann, uh, and it would capture. I mean, I was interning, and my stomach growls would be on the take, and they'd have to retake wow. it, and I'd just be sitting there like, oh, my <laughs> stomach doesn't growl. Did I eat enough? Oh, ruined the take. But, uh, yeah, it was like the really, really, really powerful mics, and so they capture just the direct sound of whatever, if it's a glass down or if it's footsteps or we would work on NCIS and mm-hmm. CSI, like more autopsy yeah. scenes, and we'd use and some... And Mad and Girls, I think. Ma- yeah, yeah, we did. We did. Uh, so I was assisting with those, and I uh, just got a lot of really cool tips on the chamois cloth, like a sheep's skin mm-hmm. chamois cloth has a very resonant 
gooey sound to it and it could be used for a lot of like internal body parts wow <laughs> stuff. that's a huge like yeah. fun fact wow yes it's it's there's yeah there's definitely a part of uh, like the spatial and resonance aspect of how the sound is being captured because uh, the way that that you are like the energy that you're using as well as like the force that you're putting on as well as the emotion that because you have to you have to mimic the actor in real time you know their emotion will play into how intense the movement is and Mm -hmm. the space and the materials around uh, the resonance so yeah it's, it's like just this very interesting side of sound but you get really in depth with with it and my ear has been trained so now I can hear I know people's footsteps if, you know, I'm in the office and I can, you know, hear, like, people coming around. I'll know who it is walking, and I just have, like, this extra sense of... You could um, be a detective. Like, you could... <laughs> you could... I mean, you're probably very stealthy, too. Like, you probably know, like, okay, I know if I do this, I'll make this sound. Or, like, very attentive to just how people perceive or, like, hear each other. That's a really useful skill for, like, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like if some guy's creeping up on you in an alley, like, yeah. um, I, I notice, I notice that if I'm talking to my boyfriend on the phone, I can hear like, he has a specific ambient sound when he's in the office, mm-hmm. when like people are there or like if it's quiet, like there's, I could, I can detect the spatial sounds f- from the phone of like where his wow. atmosphere is, yeah, because of the training and also the, the, <clears throat> doing sound engineering and producing you you start to see sound as like a picture of all of the you know high ends and low ends put together yeah. and so it just you know these like little minute details that are are powerful and I know that it's a passion of mine because there's not a lot of people who would want to be in the studio working on the little footsteps you know for eight ten hours a day and it's like it's just it's a very obscure work and, but it's cool sound engineering versus sound production okay so you're pretty much asking the difference between a sound engineer and a producer Mm -hmm. in a way so it just kind of comes down to the technical versus the artistic process Mm -hmm. of it so uh, a sound engineer and the engineering process would be capturing the audio on a tape or on it in digital file uh sound production would be creating the audio okay mm-hmm. gotcha. so so what what are you recording what are some different capacities like i know you do like stage uh performances studio field um other other sorts of capacities like what are sort of like the the different um experiences that you've had like in different capacities so there is there is yeah there's a lot of different areas of sound in mm-hmm. the sound industry and audio industry uh, so there's live sound mm-hmm. which would be doing a lot of miking and live mixes so a lot of stage performance mm-hmm. uh, I have experience in this but it was it wasn't really my thing because it's very high stress level and also uh, it just it felt a little bit too technical for me. I like to be a little bit more like perfectionist and, mm-hmm. and creative. Uh, but And then also there was an issue with being a sound woman because anytime that there's something wrong with the sound, a buzz or, or you know, the even the 
artist cracks or something on stage in the mic, like everyone turns to me or everyone will turn to the female because they automatically think that you're less educated, uh, you know, or you're, you're uh, not as efficient mm-hmm. as a man would be. So they already, you're already like 10, you're three steps behind and you have to work extra hard to prove yourself, you know, and then on top of that being in, um, in real time during a show and it's just it's just a lot of pressure it's yeah. like I don't really live shows yeah. are like a whole different mm-hmm. like ball game because you're like at the mercy of th- I mean the universe you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can't control extenuating factors there's yeah. a electrical circuit out in the wall and it's causing this to buzz and then you know it's like it could be so many different things and it's fun you know to troubleshoot and to get to you know get that like really nice sound in a mm-hmm. live performance but uh, it's not my favorite thing to do but also it's it's a it's an art in itself too you yeah. know so that's part of that's part of live sound and then there's audio production so in it, this new area of like self recording and home studios uh, this is like a new era it's been happening maybe for the last 15 years people have had access to new digital audio workspaces to record um, at their in their homes like mm-hmm. GarageBand GarageBand is like a, a default software in a lot of the Macs and it has the same format as some of the more uh, complicated ones like Pro Tools mm-hmm. where you know it's um, different tracks and you record to each track uh, mono or stereo mm-hmm. and then also, uh, you have big studio actual recording, like a you know thirty or forty track song that you could do uh, for that in a more complex digital audio workspace, mm-hmm. also known as DAW, uh, like Pro Tools. Yeah, um, and so you can do more tracking and live instruments with software like Pro Tools, or you can do more home recordings with mm-hmm. uh, Digital Performer. What is it? The GarageBand or Logic, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's Ableton, which is more of pure production side, which is a lot of DJs use and a mm-hmm. lot of um, just like music uh, electronic producers use because of the way that it's formatted. Uh, and so, but you know, it, it takes time to it takes time. You know, people think, oh, I can just get in there and record a podcast, which is a good thing, and they can, mm-hmm. you know, but it might uh, form awareness of actually. You know all the things that go into audio, and it gets complicated. You know, it's a it's a skill, it's an art in itself, getting that perfect sound. And then it, there was the issue too with uh, DJs and producers. If you know, if you used to go with people, think, oh, I can just get in there and start making beats and stuff. But there's a lot more that goes into it. You know, so it's kind of forming awareness of the complexities and and making people who are really working hard and and studying the science of it like standing out. I want to add one more thing. Mixing and mastering, too, yeah. is, is the final step of audio production. And then that's mm-hmm. a, that also is a separate area where you hone in on specific skills where you, like I was saying, the, the picture of sound uh, and you place all of the uh, elements, low end, high end compression, mm-hmm. equalizers uh, onto the final mix and bring it up to a certain level to to share to the public yeah uh, so that's more of like seeing the sound as a whole picture um, mixing and mastering engineers that's that's their their specialty whenever you hear a song that you love that's like an oldie song from who knows like the 60s you hear a cut of it that's like that's not how I remember it like whenever it's 
you know, like produced a certain way, mixed or mastered a certain way, and you've heard that version of it for so long, it really throws you off if you hear the different, like even if it was the original and like a, and there's like a different uh, value of that, of like, uh, you know, the first recording of um, a, a single or a or a, an album. But uh, definitely whenever your brain is trained to like expect it to sound a certain way, like that's more of the psychological effect of um, of us as listeners to music. I mean, it's a lot of work to make music sound the way it sounds um, and how we consume music. It's kind of like seeing how the sausage is made <laughs> at the sausage factory, that old adage. Uh, but it's good to know, like, this isn't like, you know, it's easy work, you know, like a lot of stuff goes into it. it looks like invisible stuff, you know, these different skills. But in this age where people a lot or have access to more digital equipment, it's good to know, like, it's a process. It takes like a lot of like zinning into your own uh, intentions with it and how focused you want to get on learning these things um and especially for women too yeah i think it would be cool to play one of uh rochelle's songs from um her newly last like november or last october (laughs) um your ep so i released this ep i I wrote uh, i arranged and i produced and did the engineering and mastered it so <laughs> i've got a one man one man job yeah and it's really really woman incredible job. yeah <laughs> one woman job <laughs> i really loved uh your world and it really i connected to it a lot because i wrote a poem called your world um and i was like oh like there's a kindred like universal i don't know it just felt really um personal and oh, I, thank I you. Liked it. yeah thank you so your world and this is from uh rochelle rosegold's ep that came out last Last fall so check her out that entire i guess album like trio of uh of songs on that and you can f- i guess buy buy it off of amazon or go onto your or like what do you prefer anywhere that you get your music from yeah it's yeah. on amazon music it's on itunes spotify last fm mm-hmm. and yep so i kind of just distribute it through one source so yeah you can just pick and choose where you listen to your music and check it out. Be your world, be your world, seeing the sky and the star your 
been listening to Artful Thought. I'm DJ Mr. Darcy and this is I guess the third the third live show of uh my my new talk show that's still like music oriented a little bit, not the primary focus, but um today especially we're talking about music and sound and audio with my uh guest who is also a DJ um, here at KUSF and a student here at USF, uh, communications and music uh, major. Um, but you just heard the song by Rochelle Rosegold called Your World from her self-titled album that came out last fall. And I love that song so much. It's just super peppy and poppy and sultry and doing a lot of cool things with uh, um, with the electronic sort of uh, elements and harmonizing uh, and doing cool things with her voice, the sort of echo reverberation sound to it, on top of just having naturally just really a beautiful um, uh, voice. Uh, she's super talented. I should probably turn on your mic. There we go. So, um, hey, so hey. how's it going? Uh, <laughs> so we took like a little mini break, you know, get up and stretch, get a sip of drink, get, you know, a bathroom break, all of that, um, <laughs> while we're uh, here sitting in the, the KUSF studio. So me and Rochelle have been talking about a lot of different things. Um, her journey of, you know, like her training, uh, you know, growing up, you know, in her family, uh, of all things music and all things sound, all things audio, and where it's taken her now into, like, a professional setting and an artistic setting and here I mean specifically at school uh, the education uh, of, of learning about audio um, we, we have gotten into like the gender controversy of like why you know it's such a shame that more women aren't included in the audio world it has a lot to do with the, I mean it interconnects with so many different things that go into gender gender inequality. Um, but before I guess we get into that, who are your favorite or most influential audio sound producers and engineers? Um, and you said Timbaland was one. And I was reading back through um, one of the articles I was researching, uh, like women typically, like if they are successful producers and engineers, they're also performers, like prolific artists like Missy Elliott is a, is a huge one. Um, and who who are some of yours that maybe they could be more mainstream, but maybe like uh, either either or like mainstream or more underground, I guess? Well, it's hard to say because there's not a lot of visibility from women who mm -hmm. are in in that side of the of the industry and I'll, I have a lot of inspiration with um, artists but there's you know when it comes to the technical 
jobs, it's been really hard to find role models around them. So mm-hmm. um, I think, yeah, this would be a good time to kind of segue into the advocacy about about the gender gap, about women empowerment in general um, with some of the issues that we're facing when it comes to these technical jobs. But uh, there's this nonprofit out here called Women's Audio Mission. Mm-hmm. Shout out. Yeah, uh, that That is the first time I've been exposed to a fully women-ran production studio. Uh, so it's it's changing, you know, little by little. It's just taking time to show visibility around women who are doing these major projects. And I think there was uh, just one woman, like the first women sound engineer who won a Grammy like last year. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, I can pull up her name in a second. Yeah. So... Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to touch on this part of what I embody and part of my my mission, I guess, is to incorporate women's empowerment issues and audio and creating dialogue around uh, these issues and self-starters and entrepreneurs and women in business. Um, did you pull up her name? Yeah, yeah Emily Lazar. First woman in- sound engineer. And that's um, just, like, the recognition part, you know? It's, like, how many women have been doing all of this, you know, behind-the-scenes work and um, just don't, merely just don't get the recognition because they are a woman? This statistic, which I think this is global, it's not, like, national, only, and this is coming from uh, women, uh, Women's Audio Mission, uh, that um, the current statistic holds that women make up only about 5% of the professional audio world, which is incredible. Um, and that's like a very like broad, like I think they're talking about all facets of audio and not just like one like radio or, or music or I think that's in general, like the whole shebang of a lot of different categories in audio. Um, and it, it varies for each specific industry. And I think you have more stuff like on radio like different broadcasting stats yeah so i got this uh, academic paper or it's a it's in a scholarly journal and it was published by the society of audio engineering uh, and so i just brought it for some some fact checks for us and it has a graph here that shows the maximum is 15% and the minimum is 9% of total women in broadcast and sound engineering, technician, and radio operation uh, jobs. And uh, so it's low uh, and it fluctuates. But I just wanted to kind of talk about where this is stemming from. Like, why are women not going like are they don't feel comfortable in these positions or they don't feel um, accepted or they're not drawn to technical positions Mm -hmm. and it's it's a very deep rooted issue that happens from our society you know at at birth at you know growing up being raised in our formative years uh to play with dolls to play with um artsy things and not to do Mm -hmm. wiring not to build things not to have any engineering or STEM related uh, undertones in our toys growing up Mm -hmm. and then as we get older a lot of women in our society are valued much more on the way they look than what they do 
mm-hmm. and that also stems from grow. You know, and, and people don't even realize that it's happening when you when you go up to a, a young girl and say, "Oh, you look so cute," and mm-hmm. then you go up to the boy, "Oh, you're so smart." You know, it's like you already are setting are setting this framework of what is valued. feel valued that's where you know I feel and what I've learned from in academics and in uh, women of leadership and philanthropy there's been some keynote speakers who really talk about these issues um, and just it's gonna take time to change but you know it just has to there has to be an awareness first it starts so young it starts uh like you're saying like with the toys that parents give their kids it's like a structural ingrained like sort of um self I don't know like feeling like you should be a certain way because of your gender and that you can't do certain things like whenever I was growing up I definitely I think there's some part of me that like despite my gender I am just not naturally like I never was into Legos. My parents gave both me and my brother Legos, and I was a huge tomboy, and they totally supported me playing sports, and I was, like, better than most boys growing up at sports, and they were so, um, so supportive of that. But whenever it came to mechanical things, whenever it came to, like, science and math sort of related things and STEM, uh, I think that I felt discouraged. Naturally, I, I just didn't take to it, but I think... On top of that, the gender thing of, like, feeling, like, discouraged, like, whenever... in those types of uh, fields of thinking and skill sets bleed out into so many things. You know, like, how to change a tire, you know, things with your car, or Mm -hmm. how to just know how to fix things, problem solve, in a way uh, where you don't have to rely on a man to do it. And I think that is... The older I get, the more I realize, oh... I ran to my dad for a lot of things I didn't have to. Like, I could have figured that out on my own. And whenever it comes to music and production or radio, for me, because uh, I'm more into broadcasting and podcast, uh, you know, uh, recording and producing, um, I just feel like a lot of the problems that I've come across, I get discouraged because it comes from a place of feeling like I can't do it because I am, you know, I just always had that instilled in me that I'm just not good at it and I need to have a man you know come in and produce it for me and I that's like really really a cop out and like not um empowering to me personally of like being like and it feels so empowering whenever you do learn certain things uh how to fix certain things uh that are more tech related um and I was intimidated just coming in here for the first time at KUSF and Miranda, our general manager, shout out to Miranda. Shout out. Yay. She's <laughs> the coolest person ever. Um, and whenever she was showing me how to run the, the board here, I was like super like, I don't know if this is for me and uh, scared. And I think it comes from that underlying gender insecurity of my what I'm able to do. It's ingrained in our culture so much. Like with music specifically, you did you ever watch Ten Things I Hate About You? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Heath Ledger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's this line that 
I mean, it makes me chuckle, you know, but then I thought about it um, whenever they're talking about, like, angry girl punk music, you know, from the 90s, because it's a total, like, 90s awesome, you know, rom-com teenager movie. But there's this part where he said, so I'm supposed to buy her some noodles in a book and sit around listening to chicks who can't play their instruments, right? Whenever they're trying to, like, make, like, persuade him to, like, taking her out to, like, club skunk or something. And I, it made me laugh. It's always made me laugh, but then I'm like, wait a second, that's crappy. And then in that movie, they have that, um, that girl group, that, like, kind of ska, you know, like, grungy girl group. And they totally kick ass, like, throughout the entire film. And it's like, why, why would they, why? I mean, it just makes you double, double look, you know, do a double take on how our culture perceives women and music and, and in audio. There's, yeah. there's so much media where, you. that's the thing, it's like, you don't, you're not even aware of the stigmas that are being, you know, intro, encroached around. Yeah, the word I'm looking for. Yeah, or projected projected onto onto you. Uh, Here's a quote from this paper. It says, "For years, the conversation has harped on women tending towards the social over the technical, but this simply needs to be dismantled." I like that word, dismantled, because it's like something that's already structured but needs to be broken down. It says, it is just that in certain circumstances, women tend to have a more socially diplomatic approach to negotiation, while it's in other circumstances, they prefer to work independently. If one's environment is telling one to be quiet, to speak and be judged, or to be looked at as prey, then why would one make an effort to engage in said environment? We must embrace the idea that genders are also not fixed categories to make assumptions mm. about as they exist with multiple relations in dynamic context. Yes, I love that so much. Um yeah, and your gender is not tied to, like, your brain, like, your ability to think at all. Like, it's such a social construction in categories of, yeah, like, feeling like it's um, explicitly tied to the way you make decisions. Or I mean, it can affect the way you make decisions and the way you hone skills, but it's not, like, inherent to your abilities as a human being. This is from Women in Sound, from Women on Sound. It says, and that begins in feminist-minded philosophy becoming an integral part of education and recognized in our own interpersonal interactions. Which I think there is this vicious cycle of studies that show, oh, well, we we did this social study and it's, it showed that women were more likely to talk. And so now we're going to mm-hmm. publish this these facts in a uh book about our psycho- uh, sociology girls talking, yeah. and <laughs> girls are more talkative than boys so it's like well they're taught to be that way you know mm-hmm. and they're like put into environments where that's kind of the only place that they can you know that that's what's allowed and Chatty then Kathy's. yeah <laughs> and then we keep and then we keep like putting these facts in our faces and our education and it's like mm-hmm. it needs to be dismantled it needs to uh be broken down and have everybody start at at zero you know and then we can put our work in in there instead of in technical jobs men are started at you know they're like if there's a if there's a starting line men are we're both starting at at this starting line but one is encouraged and feeling comfortable Mm -hmm. and feeling confident to to do it and the other one is like not you know feeling like they shouldn't be there feeling like they're not good enough and it's like obviously which one is going to 
they do ha- better. Yeah, the the other the men like have like more like Gatorade stops for people who are like here, here's some more water, and women are just like, yeah, I don't know if you're gonna make it to the end. Like, yeah. they're <laughs> just, just like, now. you don't really need the water. We're gonna save that for the men who are going to make it. Put put a shirt on, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just... or they'll be like, well, put your take your shirt off and like make it like entertaining for you know like be the entertainment instead mm-hmm. of the you know the person who's you know the force who's going to to actually strive and uh and finish this race a lot of i'm mixing metaphors at this point at this point but but that's such a good um that's a good point you made about education how women we are more like and this is all social social condition um uh that we are more likely to like talk and a lot of more i think there are more statistics in the past like 10 to 20 years like most colleges, like I think there's over 55 to 60% um, are made up of women. So women are like getting educations, yeah. but it's not like actualizing anything in terms of the changes of different power dynamics uh, or power um, paradigms. Yeah. yeah. It's still just like trumped by, by men because they're men. And that's about it. Like if you put all of the qualities of women, like they're, work experience their educational training on uh their resume and then they go into the same interview as a man i mean it's just statistically it's not even if you don't even look at the morality aspect of it you know if you just look at the facts you know of like more men get hired for uh tech related or audio related jobs based on gender and it's screwed up (laughs) I mean I had and this is personal experience and I try not to be so biased and male bashing and that's why I've kind of gotten more into like advocacy work and try to have facts to support these things and and be involved with nonprofits like women audio mission uh but I have been told that I was a distraction and then if it was going to be up against me or a young techie guy who's going to be up, you know, doing the same job, they're most likely going to choose the the techie guy because he's just going to be blatantly a less less distracting in the office. Wow, you know. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, thank Is you. Is that your <laughs> fault that you're you're not the person who's you're they? That's like implying that it's your fault because you're a distraction instead of they're the ones who are being who are getting distracted. Mm-hmm. That's like blaming you for something you can't control and rather it's in their control to not get distracted to reassess like oh maybe I'm the problem here not this person who happens to be a woman who is talented in what she does and shifting that responsibility over onto them of the inappropriate nature of like the potential of sexual harassment or something and this whole thing with like men in the workplace who are like scared of getting called out on sexual harassment and stuff like don't be scared just like don't be a creep like that's all there is to it like women just want to be able to work without feeling uncomfortable it made me at first think oh, okay you know had a little grudge against this that industry and that work environment uh but then really internalizing it and seeing it as this much, much, much bigger problem, you know, mm-hmm. this this very complex social construct that we have and that we're, that we're ingrained, you know, for, for so long and, and to have to 
read all these facts and, and be educated on these issues to understand what was happening, you know, which is also a big issue. It's like, you know, sometimes you don't even know that you're being harassed just because it's so normal, yeah. normalized. Yeah. You know? And even like in grade school, it's like you, you're taught, oh, you can't wear these short skirts or you have to dress code because you're distracting to the boys. And it's like always changing your life and your human agency to not distract the men in your life and it just it's it's just blank it's just unequal it's unjust it's like the source of the problem is coming from their actions not from us at all like we're not activating any sort of we're the ones being oppressed why do we have to change like just equal opportunity like we just need to have equal opportunity and when it's when you're set up and framed in an environment like that you don't have an equal opportunity you have Mm -hmm. these you have these issues that are that are constraining you from reaching your full potential yeah when men don't yeah it's like there's probably so many women who would just be like okay i guess this isn't the job for me then or i'll have Mm -hmm. to work three times five times ten times as hard as the next man it's like what why don't i just go into another another job or you know just be stay at home or you know what i mean it's just yeah it's a very pick your battles sort of um balance because this is not like an overnight fix and what you said about like pulling up like research and not always being like norma ray radical about it because i yeah we definitely want to emphasize we're not like man haters you know like i love the men in my family and it's all about like i don't want to overcorrect the problem where women are the ones who are like all powerful and like oppressing men like that's not the goal at all it's just having having an equal playing field where all humans are treated with the same respect and it's hard work because it's dismantling a lot of ingrained uh perceptions of people in the workplace that's just like on the streets that's enough you know like you can't control like how people are going to talk to you just walking outside the door or even in classrooms uh but in the workplace i mean it feels like this is such a 1950s topic you know it's like it's still such a problem um and it's getting better like i think that there needs to be credit should be you know named where it's due especially for these organizations like uh women uh uh women's mission or mission women's audio mission i yeah i always get the order mixed up women's audio mission um and there's another one um musicgirls.org that i'll put up that they do women's audio mission is like a very central like there's they're in the bay area um and i think they go out nationally too um but they help with like workshops especially for like younger younger gals and who are still like k through 12 but there's other ways you can get involved you can volunteer you can donate they do internships for for college students or probably older i don't think they specified the age on internships. Um, there, yeah. There's internships, and it has here, it says, they believe that through the participatory efforts, the face of sound will shift to be more representative of the women involved. So they have workshops, events, uh, low-cost training, yeah. and just like a hub of, of a support system for women mm-hmm. who want audio training. That's the problem is, like, women just don't get these opportunities like men do and there's like these different like camps you know growing up for 
especially in the 90s, I'm a 90s kid. I, you're a 90s kid. There's, like, especially whenever it comes to Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, like, the different extracurricular things that they group you into. Uh, usually boys go off to, like, math or science camp, and girls go off to... I don't know, like... Uh, arts and crafts. Arts or... and crafts, yeah. And I think, especially the Bay Area is better about, like, blending the different, you know, not, you know, caging people into their gender identities, mm-hmm. especially at a younger age. But it's a process. Like, it's definitely not... Just because some progress has been made, there still is more work to do and to maintain. I don't want to, like, feel like we have to be, like, overly preaching at people about like you need you know like I don't want to call people out like in a way that's like especially it's you know in a man bashing sort of way but to call people in to just think about it you know and to think about what certain things in pop culture or in the music industry whenever you're watching the Grammys like just to think about like what ways can you help dismantle this perception of of women and professional uh, settings um, in the audio world or you know other other professional settings. I just I think so as well. I, I one more quote here. It says, "Even if we tell our girls that they can do anything, this sentiment means nothing if the reality outside of them does not adjust." Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to work on those um, that already exist. You know, and they are already put in place, like Women Audio Mission, or like like yeah. us, who are creating dialogue. And of course, San Francisco is is a breeding ground for new ideas, for advocacy, uh, for new social movements. And I like feel so supportive in uh, supported in this environment and mm-hmm. at USF and in the Bay Area in general with this sensitivity around social just issues in in women identity and gender gap issues mm-hmm. um so i think it just starts with a dialogue and it starts with the awareness it starts from coming from a place uh, to have equal opportunity so much it's not just in these little bubbles of conversation it's like continuing to spread that throughout the world and not just like in these um advocates advocacy places and we're grateful for those to have these sort of safe spaces to that encourage us to do it but it takes a village to change it's not going to ever be sexism just like any other you know branch of oppression uh, racism uh homophobia like all of this is never going to be obsolete but can't we just like make it minimal you know like very like my minor versus like still this overwhelming um problem some things like ongoing still like uh that you encounter well when i walk into any sound uh store Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm not seen as someone automatically who knows what they're doing or knows anything about sound or has any knowledge i'm seen as someone who who i can never get the right help in in a store and that stems from a lot of just preconceived notions of women you know when i walk in and and they automatically will try to uh, mansplain things yep. to me when I walk. I'm like, I need a nine, I need a nine prong XLR cable, six feet. Where is that? And they're like, oh, ah, uh, you know, they throws them off because it's such a strong, strong stereotype. And I just want to mention, I just want to give like a lot of praise to you for how much work and how much 
care you've given to the community and not just being stuck up in your own projects, but you, you were a panelist speaker at the California Writers Club. You had spoke on uh, business development and growing an online presence in the di digital age for artists, authors, and musicians. You were a business development inter uh, intern uh, with C-suite executives at uh, AECOM, a Fortune 500 company. You uh, did training at Sound City, which is a huge, uh, huge name. Um, and you mentioned this earlier where you did some work with, um, what was his name? The Joe Sabella. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Foley artist. Just are just always working towards the professional development as well as the artistic development. Um, and there's a myriad of other things that you've done uh, that you've done in terms of art and uh, the professional aspect. How do you balance those? Do you ever feel like, zonked out on the professional side and you're like I need to to get that creative spark going again like do you have any moments where you're like how do I balance these two things and make them work well together instead of like feeling like they're separate from each other mm -hmm. well I've had it's been a journey mm -hmm. and I grew up poor so I've, I'm really scrappy yep. <laughs> so <laughs> I know the the fundamentals of hard work you know and having to and having to really work for what you're doing so I'm not afraid of hard work, uh, but I think there it, it does affect my creative ambition and, and determination if I have too much heavy, heavy work going on, you know, if it's co coming from the business development side or even the social marketing side. You know, I love to go see live shows. I love to go see festivals. I like to keep a strong social circle around me mm -hmm. of inspiring people as well. And I think that helps me push through some of the tired days and, and keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also I, it just comes down to where my passion lies, too. And I love uh, seeing self-starters and, mm -hmm. and creatives uh, coming and, and making themselves known or entrepreneurs and people who are just putting themselves out there. Uh, because I, I have done that myself and I see how, how stressful it could be and how brave you have to be to do something like that and so especially having this radio show and talking to some CEOs that I was connected to and directors and and authors and world-renowned musicians it's like I, I'm giving them a place to to speak and to and to share their stories and that like it keeps me going you know it's just mm -hmm. like it keeps a drive in me to just um, helping people and having this circle of of uh, inspiration around you. I've grown up in uh, in Los Angeles and in Hollywood, and there mm -hmm. are so many aspects of of Hollywood. You just have to like eat and sleep and dream, you know, fame and stardom and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and mm -hmm. and step on anyone, you know, to get to where you need to be. And like, mm -hmm. it's just like very cutthroat, and it's very um, just it harps on your social. In, in like environment and your intellect and you constantly am just you're just trying to get to the next step mm -hmm. and I realized how wrong that was when it like looking back and being more mature and seeing how these lessons you know to you just have to work 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 it's like it's mm -hmm. not true because especially if you're doing art you need to be inspired and you mm -hmm. don't want to you don't want to come from a place of just to be noticed and just you know to get out there and like play whatever and sing whatever you know it's like what a lot of the 
the mainstream artists and like pop pop stars and stuff they're kind of just molded into like a product mm-hmm. instead of, of a lot of the independent artists that we're listening to here mm-hmm. and it's like all of the all of your your lyrics and your work come from a place of of emotion you know and mm-hmm. and so it's a very stark difference between just being a product it's like you're almost displaced from your emotion with that you know, you, you can't t- tune into your emotion if you're tired or if you're sad or if you're, you know, just kind of pumping out, pumping out like a like a product. And then uh, in more of like an artistic and comfortable environment, it's you, you want to uh, put out art, you know, that's coming from your soul. I think that's the 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 most pure and the best way to to get out there. And I my, my name, like, like Rochelle Rosegold, comes from. A place of just like the metal, it's like precious and impure, right? It's like a mix of gold and copper, and it kind of symbolic to me of you can still be crazy. You can still, you know. I also like I'm big on the anti slut shaming movement and like women and women getting out there and like just having these opportunities and being themselves. You can, you know, have be whoever you want. You know, there's no wrong answer, but you can still be appreciated. You know, you don't have to be this perfect person and still be valued. That reminds me of uh, Liz. You know, Lizzo. Uh, she had this like on her new album, uh, where she's completely naked, and she's a bigger gal and talks about it openly. And she's like, "That shouldn't be like whenever people say, oh, you're so brave for body types that are not s- more slender and women to reclaim the power of like." your femininity and uh to not feel like just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I should feel like I mean my I like you know wearing cute outfits for me not because I feel like a commodity it's like this new layering of feminism of Mm -hmm. feeling like taking back and it's okay if you like I don't wear makeup and I don't you know do certain things that like is pretty effeminate that a lot of women do but I do like certain things like I wear dresses and stuff and it's because I like doing that and uh to not be so staunch about like you have to like not wear a bra in order to be a feminist or stuff like that I think having like a more versatile like whatever the intention is for you as long as you don't feel like you're doing it because men accept expect this of you or you're doing it because you know sex sells like I, I hate that so much whenever women feel like they're pressured into doing something because of their audience of what is it like the 13 year old to to 35 year old male audience like how appealing are you to that you know demographic um to not to cut that out and just be like well screw that whether or not they find me appealing or not, I'm going to do my thing at the end of the day because that's what makes me happy. And um, and that can go into for men, too, because gender is not doesn't have to be a category thing, you know, like they're especially here in San Francisco um, and to feel like it's a spectrum and you can pick out you can cherry pick whatever elements of it that you want for yourself. If that makes you feel good and it's not hurting anybody else um yeah more power to you yeah i see that band that that huge um 
K-pop band BTS. Yes. And they have a lot of gender fluid aspects yeah. about them, right? I'm like, okay, okay, I can mm-hmm. see like this, you know, changing a little bit of of because it's really targeted at like the middle school, high school mm-hmm. age, and seeing these pop stars with the with their wearing makeup and the colored hair and the colored contacts and like I don't know, it felt fluid, it felt progressive, you know, mm-hmm. in a way. And I think that too, it's like you need to. There's no, there's no wrong way, you know. You can be totally modest. You can be totally naked. You could be, you know, like you, you can be. You can be whatever you want. You could stay at home. You could be a CEO, but you can be. I'm trying to get better about, um, like, definitely pronouns are a good thing. I think um, I'm trying to be better about. Asking people, not outright, it depends on the setting too. Um, uh, in emails, I like it whenever people use pronouns in emails or in like in group settings of going around the room and naming their, their pronouns. Any, any other plugs you'd like to, to get? Yeah, I have my show on Fridays from 1 to 1 30 to 3. Mm-hmm. And I also featured talk radio as yeah. well as I play some similar music as too. I play teen and soccer mommy. I kind of switch between uh, indie and electronic. And then I have different interviews and different artists coming on. Yeah, I just hope you get on board with the movement of women empowerment and women in audio and uh, just keep supporting that mission. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Rochelle Rosegold. That's pretty much my alias yeah. for now. And I just feel so uh, flattered and, and supported and happy to be here. Uh, I don't think anyone has been so uh, supportive as you, you know, oh. like putting all of this on paper and having me here. It just feels, uh, it makes me feel really valued and that my work is getting noticed and just helps me keep moving forward. So thank you so much, it Mr. Darcy. It, yeah, thank you. I mean, that's like a reflection. I feel like that is like uh, exactly how I feel about you. And I feel like you are putting in all of this work and you deserve, you have deserved for so long recognition, you know, and just for people to see you and acknowledge and celebrate you and talk, you know, about this. And because you're so like about like uh, spreading this out, you know, and to make it not just about like an isolated sort of thing, but like a movement to light a fire in all of us. And um, you're totally like, yeah, you just like what you're doing completely, you know, like makes me feel more encouraged too. So thank you. Thank you. And I, I definitely wouldn't have this, you know, I wouldn't feel like as supported, you know, I wouldn't feel as more uh, like it's possible to do this without another woman at KUSF who's doing this work and at such a level that you're doing it. So cool. Yeah. And I'm super stoked to see like everything that you're doing in the future, especially since we're both going to be here for the next uh, six months. We both graduate this fall. So uh, that's plenty of time to, to knock out some more cool projects. So will I close out? Do you prefer, I really love, um, Mirage is pretty cool. Mirage. Mm-hmm. Mirage. Sorry, I always pronounce that wrong. Yeah, and this is from Rochelle Rosegold's EP that was released last uh, fall that you should check out, and you should follow Rochelle in, in all things that she does. I'll post links and all of that. Thank you so much again, Rochelle.
A very special music credit and thanks to Mark Allred for the piano compositions and to Rochelle Rosegold for her songs Your World and Mirage, which she wrote, composed, produced, mixed, and mastered from her 2018 self-titled EP, which you can find in the episode archive. Also check out her radio show, Levels and Luster, which features music and interviews with artists and airs on KUSF on Fridays 1.30 to 3 p.m. Pacific Time Zone. Thank you so much for listening to Artful Thought, a KUSF production in San Francisco. Just making shit up.